Uh, good morning. Would you like to turn to Luke chapter 17? So our reading is from Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 11. Luke chapter 17, beginning to read at verse 11. Jesus heals 10 men with leprosy. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a small boy, back in the mists of antiquity, my Victorian grandmother sometimes used to tick me off by saying, Jonathan, mind your P's and Q's. Now that was a common expression in my grandmother's day. It's fallen out of fashion, but you still hear it occasionally. And what it means is, make sure you say please and thank you. And today's reading is a gem of a story about P's and Q's to God. And on a deeper level, it's a parable about gratitude and ingratitude towards God. And when we come to reflect on it, it should make each and every one of us think, ask ourselves the question, how good or how bad are we about saying thank you to God? But before we get into such reflections, let's just take a close look at Luke's narrative. We're back over 21 centuries ago in the border between Samaria and Galilee. And it was an age when leprosy was far more feared than cancer, coronavirus, or even coronary heart disease is today. Because leprosy was a vicious, contagious skin fungus. It's now easily killed by antibiotics, but in those days, it was a killer. And it began by turning healthy skin white and spreading as a fungal infection across the whole body with painful, smelly, and ultimately lethal sores. And the book of Leviticus tells us that when people had leprosy, they were sent out into exile. They were sent outside the city gates, outside the towns or villages where they lived. They were actually outcasts. They were the dregs of society. They were the unclean. They were the untouchables. 
And so as Luke tells the story, 10 men who were in a sort of little leper colony of their own outside their village, they saw Jesus approaching and they called out to him, Jesus, master, have pity on us. They probably had heard of Jesus' fame as a healer and so their cry was in effect a cry for healing. And Jesus, as he always did, had compassion on the sick and the suffering. And he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. That was not a delaying tactic or a buck-passing tactic on behalf of Jesus. It wasn't like a sort of GP saying, well, we'll try to arrange an appointment with a consultant in three months' time. It was, takes a bit of explaining, but it was actually an immediate call for action because in the first century uh, of Israel, lepers could only be proved to be cured if they went to a Levite priest who after an inspection was the only authoritative person who could say, you are cured, you are clean. And I think when perhaps these gentlemen heard this, he must have said, well, what's the point of that? I've got terrible sores. I mean, of course I'm not clean. What's the point of going to see the priest? But somehow or other, uh, Jesus was asking these men to step out in faith in response to his command and do what he asked. And obviously those lepers did have faith because they obeyed Jesus and they headed off in the direction of the nearest priest. And as verse 14 tells us, and as they went, they were cleansed. It's rather a vital point that the healing took place after the ten lepers, still infected with their leprosy, began in faith their journey towards those priests, believing that they were going to be healed by Jesus. And evidently they were healed, they were cleansed, they were examined, and they were declared healed of leprosy by those priests. So what happened next? Well, nine of the ten lepers behaved perhaps as some of us might have done. You would guess that the first thing they did was to celebrate. And maybe they went back to their families to be reunited joyfully. Or maybe they went off to the pub to have a party. Um, very human reactions. We don't quite know what they do, did, but what we do know is they, or at least nine of the ten of them, did not go back to thank Jesus. They failed to thank God. And that's a very common human failing then and now. And the story then swings around to focus on leper number 10. As verse 15 records, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Well, what a beautiful response. The tenth leper came back, probably having to walk some distance to do so, and he glorified God in what perhaps in a Pentecostal church would be called a shouting session, waving his arms about, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, and falling at Jesus' feet. That may sound a little bit OTT in Notting Hill, but in some cultures, today, even in our 21st century, <clears throat> falling at a benefactor's feet is a known way of expressing gratitude. For example, the Maasai tribe in Kenya, when they are giving thanks, they do bend down, fall at the benefactor's feet. So it's not quite as unusual and strange as it sounds. Anyway, the tenth leper did want to say a big thank you to God. And he prostrated himself on the ground, loudly giving thanksgiving. And then, almost unnoticed, 
Luke's gospel says, almost a parenthesis, a final detail in the last five words of verse 16, and he was a Samaritan. Why are those words important? Because Samaritans were outcasts. They were hated by the Jews for racial and socially prejudiced reasons. And even in a leper colony of 10 lepers, the Samaritan was despised, so traditionally hated by Israelite Jews that he was the outcast's outcast. But of course, Jesus wasn't having any truck with this kind of nonsense. He loved, as he loves today, people of all class, all colors. Indeed, elsewhere in Luke's gospel, you may know that there's one of Jesus' greatest parables. Who is the hero of it? The Good Samaritan. So Jesus had a love and compassion that knew no boundaries and certainly included his love for this Samaritan, this outcast. What did Jesus say next? Just notice that Jesus never asked to be thanked. Why not? Well, Jesus knew, as perhaps we all know right now, that um, gratitude can never be solicited. Thanks can only be freely given. No one can make someone else thankful. But now that he was thanked by the Samaritan, Jesus was pleased. And he couldn't, of course, fail to notice that while all ten lepers had strongly expressed their peas with their cries of, please heal us, have pity on us, one leper, the lone Samaritan, had remembered his cues and come back to say thank you for being healed. And the way Jesus noticed this, possibly with a sort of wry smile on his face, was to ask three rather pointed rhetorical questions, <clears throat> which are set out in verses 17 and 18. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to give thanks except this foreigner? What do we learn from those three pointed questions from our Lord? The message of them, first, is that God likes to be thanked. And if we fail to give thanks to God, we disappoint God. And none of us surely want to do that. And the final verse of our reading emphasizes that God not only likes to be thanked, he rewards those who take the trouble to thank him. As you see in verse 17, then Jesus said to him, the Samaritan, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now here I have to make a little translation point um, and say that uh, the word well here in the NIV version is a mistranslation. Um, and the word well is just wrong. Usually translation points are academic nitpicking of the most irritating and fussy variety, but this one is unusually important. And you can get there without being a linguist or a scholar. You can work out for yourselves by common sense that the word well here is probably a translation error. Because if you stop and think for a moment, surely the nine lepers were all made well. And I bet they felt well when they went off to the pub to celebrate. So why on earth was Jesus bothering to say to the 10th cured leper, your faith has made you well? Surely Jesus was trying to say something a bit extra to the 10th leper. He was trying to say, your faith has made you especially well. Because you thank me, 
I'm going to give you something special beyond just being well. And indeed, other Bible translators get this word right. Uh, for example, the King James Version translates the verse correctly and accurately as, thy faith has made thee whole. Now, there is a big difference between being well and being whole. Being well just means being physically well or healthy. Great bonus, great benefit. But being whole means being holistically well. It being, means being spiritually well uh, and emotionally well also. Uh, rather amusing, I was preparing the sermon yesterday on my inbox that popped up a message from the McKinsey Corporation. And it said, McKinsey Health Corporation Division wishes to tell everyone that spiritual health is just as important as physical health. Wow, well done, McKinsey. 2,000 years late, <laughs> they got the point. Health is actually better than health. And perhaps I can illustrate this personally by telling you, to my, your surprise, that in my youth I was a runner. And I used to compete in marathons and half marathons and 10Ks. Wouldn't be much good of it now, but in those days I was evidently well, fit and well, but I was not whole. The interior province of my life, which we call the soul, was not in good shape, spiritually, emotionally, or holistically. And so Jesus was giving the tenth leper, the Samaritan, a great extra gift when he said to him, go on thy way, thy faith has made you whole. Now I'm sure you've all got the key messages in the story, and they are, number one, gratitude to God is important. Number two, God is pleased when we express our thanks to him in prayer or in worship or in any other way. And thirdly, God rewards those who show their gratitude to him. So if you're, I'm carrying you with me and you agree that these are the key messages from this gospel passage, let's now just spend a few moments on more personal reflections and asking ourselves how well or how badly do we show our gratitude to God? Let's face it, most of us in our prayer lives give a high, far higher priority to asking God for favors than to thanking him for blessings received. Rather interesting, although I didn't put her up to it, when Rupi opened the prayers this morning, they opened with thanks, which is slightly unusual. Most prayers, personal prayers, we spend most of the time asking God for things. And I think it's understandable that we put our P's in front of our Q's. But is that right? One signpost, which several of you will recognize, uh, to the effect that it's not quite right, lies and is to be found in the Alpha course, which many of you have done. And that suggests, when you get to the talk on prayer, that thanking God should come before making requests to God. Some of you will remember, or if you don't know, the Alpha course suggests there should be a structure to our prayers, and it's called the ACTS formula. And it goes, you should structure your prayers through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Note the order. Thanksgiving comes before supplications or asking. But even when we get the order of priority right, our thanks to God, in most cases, are much shorter than our requests to God. Why? Because we're human. And one explanation is that we take so many of God's gifts for granted. 
food on the table, a roof over our heads, living in a free and stable society governed by the rule of law, the blessings of family life, blessings of human relationships, community life, church life, being in this family of St. Peter's, or going even wider, the beauty of nature, and confidence that God loves us. All these are enormous blessings. And the list goes on and on in more personal ways. But how often do we actually stop and say thank you to God for them? We tend to forget that our Creator is the source of all life, all happiness, and all progress. There's an old Sunday school jingle which may be relevant here. It goes, count your blessings, count them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Well, after taking so many blessings for granted, we didn't even bother to thank God for them. The next big obstacle to being grateful to God is our pride. Because if we do enjoy certain successes in life, in work, our relationships, and our achievements, it's been a good day for the hedge funds or whatever it is, we rather think it's all our own work. So we pat ourselves on the back rather than giving the glory to God. And it may be the devil who often whispers to us because he loves tempting us in the sin of pride, whispers to us, there's no need to bother to thank God for what's going well in your life. You did it all yourself. Well done, says the devil. Uh, well, um, more likely to mean you're done for if you forget to thank God. But another little problem is we're not so much ungrateful as forgetful when it comes to thanking God. And the remedy for this is to get into the spiritual discipline of praying to be regularly remembering to be grateful to him. And on this point, just hearken to the advice, the prayerful advice of two great English giants of poetry and literature. William Shakespeare wrote, O Lord that lends me life, lend me a heart replete with thankfulness. And George Herbert wrote, O Lord, thou hast given me so much to me, give one thing more, a grateful heart. And a grateful heart often means a happy heart because thanking God regularly for blessings received is a joyful process. As I move towards the end of this talk, let me throw out one last extremely difficult challenge about gratitude for God. And this is, should we give thanks to God when life is going wrong, we're disappointed, our relationships are broken up, we're ill, our money problems are growing, Thank God for them? Mighty difficult. It should be pretty easy, if we're disciplined, to thank God for his blessings and for his mercies when life is going well. But how about tackling the idea of trying to keep on thanking God when life is taking wrong turns and going badly? Let me tell you a little personal story here. Approximately 25 years ago, my life and career was in a free fall towards rock bottom. And I was going through a period which I have sometimes described as defeat, disgrace, divorce, bankruptcy, and jail. Pretty good royal flush of crises by anybody's standards, especially when they're taking place in the view of noisy media. But at least in the middle of these disasters, I 
was starting to do some spiritual searching. And I went along taking advice from various people, and somebody said, you should go and see uh, the abbot of such and such a monastery, a retired abbot, who was supposed to be a great source of spiritual teaching and wisdom. And so I went to see him, a very elderly man, and I told my, uh, the monk my story, uh, probably spiced with too much self-pity, and I think I probably used these words, same words, Father Abbot, I'm going through defeat, disgrace, divorce, bankruptcy, and jail. And the old monk closed his eyes, and after a long silence, he said, hmm, have you tried thanking God for them? Well, I almost walked out. <laughs> but now I know that the old monk was a source of great wisdom, because I can assure you, that if you can find the strength to do so, when you're walking through God's dark, through life's darkest valleys, if you can manage to say, well, okay, my relationship is broken up, or I've got a bad medical dosis, maybe I should try thanking God, because you never know what... And I know that thanking God when you're in deep trouble is actually the fastest and most fulfilling way of climbing out of such a valley. Nobody put this great truth better than a famous 16th century divine called William Law. He wrote a great book, still in print, A Serious and Devout Call to a Holy Life. And there's a chapter in it titled, A Call to Give Thanks. And this is how the chapter begins. If anyone would tell you the shortest, surest way to all happiness, hold it there. If you were to pick up a self-help book saying, if I can tell you the shortest, surest way to all happiness, be a bestseller. Anyway, this is how the chapter opens. If anyone would tell you the shortest, surest way to all happiness, they would tell you to make it a rule to thank and praise God for everything that happens to you. For it is certain that whatever seeming calamity befalls you, if you can thank and praise God for it, you will turn it into a blessing. Well, such a challenging level of gratitude when life is going wrong may be too high a hurdle for most of us. But having tried it myself, I can tell you that thanking God when you are in the middle of a medical drama, a prison sentence, a divorce, or any calamity you can think of naming, if you are bold enough to try and thank God for such apparent disasters, that may be a form of prayerful gratitude that can help you to change course for the better in your relationship with God. And who knows this more deeply than I do after a journey which has taken me from the depths of disgrace through prison to now being a very happy priest and prison chaplain and with enormous gratitude to God. I want to end this talk with the greatest prayer of gratitude that I know. It's called the General Thanksgiving and it's to be found in Thomas Cranmer's 1662 prayer book. It's one of the finest jewels of Anglican spirituality. The language may be old-fashioned, but its message is timeless. No, we, I think we can't put it up on our screen, so I'll just say oh, we can. Let's say it all together. Uh, this is the general thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father all mercies, we, thine unworthy servants, do give thee most humble and hearty thanks for all thy goodness and loving kindness to us and to all men. We bless thee for our creation 
preservation and all the blessings of this life, but above all, for thine inestimable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we beseech thee, give us that due sense of all thy mercies, that our hearts may be unfeignedly thankful, and that we show forth thy praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to thy service, and by walking before thee in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with thee and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, world without end.